In a piece released today in USA Today, columnist Glenn Reynolds argues the following, quote, talking about Trump's sex life lets us avoid reality. This is, of course, absolutely true. America is engaged in a five-front war. Hillary Clinton is actively pushing for World War III with Russia in an attempt to excuse the corruption being exposed by WikiLeaks, which she believes for some reason is a Russian intelligence agency. At the same time, Obamacare is collapsing. Premiums everywhere are skyrocketing by 10, 20, even 30 or more percent. Hillary is actively lying about the national debt as well. She promises to somehow massively expand the size of government and continue to allow massive amounts of jobs to be shipped overseas, which increases the amount of people dependent on the government, while, quote, not adding a penny to the national debt. Hillary Clinton also proposes a 550% increase in admittance of refugees into the country. These are, of course, the same refugees that contributed to Sweden's meteoric rise to the rape capital of Europe and are actively bankrupting Germany, France, Sweden, and other great European nations. But what is the American press talking about? Well, we're talking about Donald Trump's sex life. Dana Bash, CNN's hack reporter, is questioning Donald Trump about why he took two hours off the campaign trail to open his newest hotel in Washington, D.C., on the same day where he made eight campaign appearances. We're talking about feelings and about fame-seeking women who make baseless accusations against him and ignoring the real corruption and real scandal going on within the American government. And anyone who pays attention to the media can tell you that it is, in fact, rigged. And thankfully for Americans, record numbers of people are abandoning them. I'm James Alsop, and welcome to the first-ever Thursday edition of Campus Report. Yes, as promised on Monday, this is the first-ever Thursday edition of Campus Report, and very excited to start going twice a week now. Very excited to have the Monday show and the Thursday show. That's going to allow us to get into a lot more of the, like, real on-campus, in-the-college sphere events that uh, that we've currently had to, or in the past, that we've had to kind of overlook because we've been talking about big national stuff. So we can get a little bit more of a healthy mix in, and so we'll be able to talk about um, a little bit more, uh, a more broad, uh, you know, swath of topics here, and that's very exciting. So we're not abandoning the national issues by any means. We're definitely still going to keep talking about that, but we'll just get more in-depth about uh, politics as it relates to young people, obviously, which is which is the you know the message that we're trying to get out there. So, with that in mind, we begin today with a story coming from Texas, coming from the young conservatives of Texas down uh, in in the great state. And this specifically took place at University of Texas Austin, and <laughs> this is um, this is a something that has happened in the past. It is a affirmative action bake sale. The Young Conservatives at University of Texas Austin held a Young Conservatives bake sale where they <laughs> essentially you have a bake sale, but you adjust the prices for each person based on a racial group or sex or other member of a quote, you know, privileged or non privileged class. And it's the idea is that this reflects the college admissions process because there's, you know, affirmative action that takes place. And so so people who are racial minorities, people who are women, people with different backgrounds are given preference over those who are not minorities. Um, you know, those who are Asian oft- oftentimes have to score very, very high on their SAT scores or on their SAT to get into a school, whereas a African-American can, can score 70% of what the, the Asian-American has to score in order to get into the same school and the same program because of affirmative action, because the schools want to increase the amount of of racial minorities who are are in their university. So, the young conservative <clears throat> young sorry, young conservatives of Texas charged uh, this is from the Washington Times, they charge Asian males $1.50 for baked goods 
and Asian females were charged $1.25. White males were charged $1, while white females came in at 70, 75 cents. And then black and Hispanic males were each charged 50 cents, while their female counterparts only had to give up a quarter for a baked good. And Native American students received free cookies. So, clearly the design here is to to give, uh, you know, lower prices to people who are in, you know, so to speak, oppressed classes and to charge the the more privileged classes higher. And it's kind of a funny idea. And um, people got triggered. People got really upset about it. Uh, this is from the Washington Times again. The young conservative said the purpose of the bake sale was to demonstrate the immorality of discriminating on the basis of race in any setting. Quote uh, from their Facebook page, YCT is a truly colorblind organization and believes that all government institutions are constitutionally prohibited from discriminating on the basis of race in all circumstances, including affirmative action. And that is from their Facebook page. And that is true, right? You know, if, if you own a business, you cannot discriminate. Hell, this has even been in, uh, in the courts recently. You can't discriminate based on the setting of where your goods are going to be utilized. If you're a, a baker, for example, and Gary Johnson would disagree with you here, but if you're a baker, you can be forced, or he would agree with this, you can be forced to cater a gay wedding, even if you find that objectionable. You can be forced to cater events that you have moral disagreements with because of an interpretation of um, equal opportunity and, and equal protection. And, and non-discrimination laws. And the Civil Rights Act really is what it's an interpretation of. And so this is kind of what they're illustrating here is that it's that it's wrong for the government, especially for the government, to be engaged in that same behavior. If a private university, or if it, sorry, not a private university, but if a private organization was doing this, it would totally not be allowed. But the government, because they have, you know, ultimate power and ultimate ultimate authority, I guess, is able to decide okay, you know, we'll, we'll reduce the standards. We'll reduce the standards for, for people just because of their skin color. And we'll make it harder for Asian students to get in just because of their, their skin color and their ethnicity and their race. So it doesn't really make sense, right? You would think that it should be a meritocracy and that people should be able to apply based on their merit, based on what they've done in school, based on what they've achieved, based on what they want to do, based on their degree. That's, who, that's how we should be allocating college admission spots. Because a, a spot at a college that is given out to somebody just because of their race, you know, if, if, a, if a black woman gets into college, right, over an a Asian man, and she had a 2.0 GPA, he had a 3.5, this can happen, by the way, and she decides to major in, you know, gender studies, which she's statistically more likely to do, and he majors in, uh, you know, finance or engineering, who is going to create more value to society? inarguably it'll be the the Asian male who who majors in finance or computer studies or engineering or something like that and so in terms of economic value not not personal value but economic value so why are we engaging as a government in behaviors that incentivize people who are going to be less productive create less wealth create less value to society and giving them preference and admissions over people who are going to be inventors and creators and and engineers and designers and people who drive innovation in this country. I don't get it. I don't understand. So that just doesn't make sense to me. But the University of Texas um, has defended affirmative action. And this was, of course, Fisher versus University of Texas is the is the case that was before the Supreme Court, um, I believe, a little less than a year ago. It was one of the last cases that Scalia heard, actually. 
Um, they issued a statement, ironically calling the affirmative action bake sale, quote, deplorable. Uh, the school said from the Washington Times, quote, the practice of discriminating on the basis of race in the sale of baked goods, um, but apparently not in university admissions, creates, quote, an environment of exclusion and disrespect among our students, faculty, and staff. Well, yeah, but you don't when you accept based on race. How is it any different for this, this private student group to do it? And it's okay, it's wrong for them to do it, but then it's okay for you to do it with institutional power. With and this is not like the, the mean definition of oh, ma institutional or or you know, ma systematic. No, this is like literally the institution who is making these admissions decisions and setting these admissions policies. They are engaging in in discrimination based on race, and then they're turning around and telling these students that they can't do the same, even though it's literally what they do as a school. Um, so this is. A direct statement from University of Texas Austin here, uh, quote, the West Mall is a place where free speech is exercised by all students, and rightly so, because it is meant to be an arena that inspires dialogue from diverse viewpoints. However, and here's where the censorship comes in, it is also meant to be a space where students exhibit respect for each other while holding those viewpoints. Right. So this is what they do. This is what they do. They'll take your free speech and your right to speak freely, and then they'll they'll say, well, you know, it's speech, but it's also violence, right? This is what we always hear is that, that, well, your speech is violence, so you can't have your speech. You're not allowed to have your free speech, even though you're just out there saying, like, build a wall, for example. Yeah, that, that's violence, so you can't do that. Or if you do that, we can respond with violence. This is what, what they argue, right? And so so by attaching these connotations to free speech, oh, they have to be, they have to be respectful. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, we'd all want to be respectful, but respect is subjective. Respect is one of the things that is defined differently by, by different people. Also, free speech doesn't have to be respectful. You know, free speech, this is very unpopular to say, free speech also includes hate speech. Am I saying that I want to engage in hate speech? No. Am I saying that people should engage in hate speech? No. But should people have the right to, to engage in hate speech? Absolutely, as it is protected by the First Amendment. The First Amendment doesn't say, well, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z types of speech are okay, but but these aren't. No, the only types of speech that are not allowed are threats of violence uh, or fighting words, um, and and then you know causes of uh, false alarm, you know, fire in a theater, that kind of stuff. So you know, threats of harm or, or speech that can actively do harm to people in a physical sense, right? Not in an emotional sense, not in a in a mental sense, not in a my feelings kind of sense. No, that's all protected. That's all absolutely protected. And the University of Texas, as a public institution, and this being a public place, that is protected. So for the University of Texas to issue the statement saying, oh, well, they, you know, really they can't do this because it's they're not being respectful. BS. Sorry. Not true. Not true. Uh, you know, the First Amendment was written with shortly after, you know, the Revolutionary War and our Declaration of Independence and our, the signing of the it was part of the Constitution. And the founders absolutely intended for people to have the right to speak freely about their government, about society, about things that were going on that they didn't like. Because think back to the to the 1950s, or sorry, not 1950s, 1750s, when when we were still colonized. Do you think that <laughs> the king would have said, "Hey, talk about revolution? That's hate hate speech. That's not allowed." Yeah, they absolutely would have. 
And that's why the founders were, were so careful to include protections for speech like this, for speech that could be considered hateful, that could be considered objectionable by people. Because even though you may not agree with it, that doesn't mean that somebody shouldn't have the right to say it. And that's just an inherent protection in our in our First Amendment, in our civilization. Um, I would say in Western civilization, but really, you know, not even true in places like Germany, because you can be arrested for criticizing migrants over there. This is something that is a, a uniquely, pretty much a uniquely American tradition. Something we should be very proud of is our protection of free speech, and we're seeing that eroded by the left. It, it's it's and this is you know, oftentimes will say, well, the left is doing it and the right is doing it. No, this is an issue where it's nearly exclusively coming from the left and you're seeing it a lot in college where they will say, your speech is violence or your speech is hate speech, therefore it's not allowed. Therefore it's not allowed. Um, coming up tonight, actually, at my university, we're having noted feminist Lacey Green who is coming, who is just a, a absolute disaster show. And uh, I was watching her videos in preparation for the, for the event. Uh, <laughs> I, I am going to ask you some questions tonight, and so you'll see those uh, videos posted to our uh, Campus Report Facebook page, I'm sure. Um, and, and she said in her videos, yeah, you know, in her obnoxious, you know, sing-songy, just ridiculous, over-the-top, annoying feminist voice, she, she said, oh yeah, you know, I'm okay with all kinds of speakers on campus, except hate speech. You know, except hate speech. Okay, well, is it not hate speech to say that, you know, all men are susceptible to rape. She said in her videos that that all all people are problematic. Uh, she said that you know men are are just you know rapists in disguise, rapists lying in wait. Um, yeah, isn't that a problem? Uh, isn't that hate speech? No, apparently, no. It's not hate speech if you're a leftist. <laughs> it's not. It's not hate speech. This is from a personal example. It's not hate speech to go out and, and tell. Uh, Hispanic Trump supporters that they're tokens or tell Hispanic Trump supporters that they must be getting paid by by the white Trump supporters or it's not hate speech to uh, to tell white people and this is a, a video that I'll post to the campus report Facebook page as well to tell white people that oh you are engaged in uh, in slavery that you are culpable for slavery dude I was born in 1995 <laughs> I was I was born you know almost a hundred years after slavery was over like I wasn't responsible for slavery but a lot of these Black Lives Matter, these militant blacks will come out and say, oh, well, you're responsible for the legacy of slavery. No, I wasn't there. And also, you were never a slave, so you can't claim victimhood for that. You get that a lot. You know, people coming out and say, oh, well, you know, the legacy of oppression. What legacy of oppression? There's no legacy of oppression. <laughs> Look at affirmative action. You know, you, you have to score 50% if you're an African-American, 50% of what an Asian has to score in the SAT, and you'll get into the same college. We've done so much in this country to, to fight back against against uh, discrimination, against systematic oppression, that it's kind of silly to say it's still a problem now today. And that's why I think these demonstrations like these uh, affirmative action bake sales are so effective because they demonstrate how ridiculous the affirmative action system is. They demonstrate how, how ridiculous and flawed the system is, and I think that it, it, it does, I believe, move people to the right. It does move people to, to say... To think about it that way, because a lot of people don't think about it that way. A lot of people don't think of, of affirmative action in this way. And they don't think that, hey, you know, it's literally somebody achieving less and getting the same result. But that's that's really what affirmative action is, is you being rewarded for less achievement because of 
of racial characteristics. And so I think this does do a lot to move uh, students to the right. I think this is great. I think this is something that that colleges, uh, college, you know, Republicans, college conservatives, um, probably not Yao. They probably wouldn't be interested in this, but but groups, right wing groups on campus should be doing this. And yeah, you know, you'll get threats like, uh, for example, um, this club. This is from the DallasNews.com. They were accused of quote institutionalized racism they were accused uh <laughs> they were told to quote check your privilege which is uh which is kind of ironic because that's become an, an ironic term and they were were you know told racist go home that kind of stuff and so you know this all has a big chilling effect on on conservatives on campus this is the kind of stuff that contributes to to young conservatives especially minority conservatives not wanting to come out um this is from the, the organizer of the demonstration, uh, Vidal Castaneda, who is the club chairman, who, of course, is a Hispanic guy. Quote, uh, our protest was designed to highlight the insanity of assigning our lives value based on our race and ethnicity rather than our talents, work ethic, and intelligence. It is insane that institutional racism, such as affirmative action, continues to allow for universities to judge me by the color of my skin rather than my actions. That is great. That's a great answer because it, it uses their buzzwords and it uses their rhetoric and it totally flips it back against them. That's fantastic. So great job to the young conservatives of the University of Texas. Uh, we'll post all these links below to these stories. That's great work. Great work, uh, Mr. Ken Castaneda down there in Austin. And they actually did the same thing in 2013 here, um, according to the DallasNews.com. Um, they, they held a nearly identical bake sale where they charged different races, different prices for brownies. So this is something they're, they're used to. You know, hopefully they can give some guidance to uh, schools who want to attempt that in the future. All right, moving westward now to University of California, Berkeley, where, you know, students were criticized for, for building a wall at Washington State University. I was part of that, in full disclosure. We built a Trump wall at university at Washington State University here in Pullman, Washington. And we were criticized as a violence of being racist of, of all this stuff. So not even literally a week later, literally a week later, um, quote here from reason.com, UC Berkeley protesters built a human wall to violently stop white students from crossing bridge. Now, this isn't like, you know, um, the buzzword type violence. This is actual violence. They were inhibiting students, uh, white students, from crossing, from from going to going to school, going to class. The wall built at WSU was not blocking anybody's way. You know, there were plenty of ways around it. You know, nobody was being actually blocked. These guys built a human wall. These Hispanic group of students built a human wall to block white students from getting to class. Quote from Reason here, according to video footage of the protest, demonstrators blocked off the bridge completely. Students who needed to get to class had no choice but to cross the stream by jumping rock to rock. Dozens of people can be seen doing so. So they had to uh, cross the Rio Grande, I guess you could say. Um, uh, continuing here from Reason, in the video, the activists appeared to let several students of color pass unmolested, but white students were forced to find other routes. A few who tried to force their way through were violently rebuffed. Protesters shouted, go around, go around, at a white man on a bicycle. Another student was told, quote, this is bigger than you by a protester. This is about whiteness. Yes, this is about whiteness. Can you imagine for a second if a group of white students blocked off a pathway on any campus 
and uh, and said this is about blackness. If if a group of white students came together to protest black on white violence, for example, or black on white rape statistics, and they blocked black students from getting through a path- pathway, and they said, "Oh, this is about blackness." Can you imagine? the firestorm that would come to those students. They would all be expelled that day. No hearing, no appeals. They would be gone. It would be get them out of there. But this is okay because they're because they're Hispanic and because they're targeting whites. I'm only seeing a picture here of about 15 of them. They're all Hispanic. There may have been black students there. There may have been white students, self-hating, you know, white cuck students there. I don't know. But they're targeting whites, so it's okay. They're targeting whites, so it is okay. Um, the protesters then, from reason here, marched through the student union, reportedly disrupting students who were studying. Of course, because these students have nothing better to do, because they don't study, because they're all gender studies majors, and you don't have to study when you're a gender studies major. Now, do you? <laughs> this is your homework. It's to go stir up trouble and to make things harder for those of us who are actually trying to be productive in society. Um, from reason here, racism in the service of activism is still racism. Yes, it is. These students consider themselves progressive, but what's progressive about punishing people, making it more difficult for them to get to class because they were born with the wrong skin color? Right. Again. And and people will come out and say, this is not racism because, oh, the, the old tired argument that, oh, people of color can't be racist. Yeah, they can, dude. They totally can. <laughs> Everybody knows that, that you can be a racist even if you're a person of color. Uh, there's a video here attached with the article from Reason. Um, yeah, so so this is what's what's going on. This is what students are up against. And really, you know, to oppose this, there's there's really nothing you can do. There's really nothing you can do short of actually, uh, you know, getting up there and getting physical with them, which you never want to do because then that that reflects badly on you, and it, it can you can get punished for it. So what choice do you have if you're if you're a white guy trying to go to class, if you're a white girl trying to go to class, you're kind of stuck. You're kind of out of luck here. Um, and it's just really interesting to see the, the racial accelerationism going on here um, from, from students who are on the left, from these minority students. Are, do they want a race war? Do they want open racial confrontation? Because that's what they're pushing for here. And that's, I think, what all of us want to see the least. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. But they're, they're pushing for segregation. And it's really sad to see the, the civil rights movement kind of come back on itself and, and eat itself and eat, eat its own here. Um, and I don't really know what to do. I don't really know what to, what to do about it. I don't think there's really any good answer. I, I think the, the, the answer continues to just be exposing it when we see it and and making it known that, hey, this is what they're pushing for. They, people call the right racist. People call people, you know, right wing groups racist these people are actually pushing for segregation actually pushing for (laughs) racial segregation uh nobody that i know is doing that on the right you know at our trump events we've had people of all colors and all ethnicities there it's not a racial thing but for them it is for the left it is a racial thing so that's what they're pushing for that's what we're up against all right touching quickly on the national issues yes national non-campus issues here for a second um the latest la times daybreak poll has been released and Trump is leading 45-2 to 44-5 here among um, all respondents. This is from 3,200 3, respondents. 3,208 respondents saying Trump 45.2, Hillary 44.5%. So, you know, 
the whole narrative that that Trump has done, Trump is Trump is losing. It's it, it's not going to happen. You know, the media is really trying their hardest to write him off as done, as lost, as it's over. They're doing everything they can right now to push that narrative, to push that that uh, you know false reality when nothing could be further further from the truth. Let's look at the look at the age demographics here. The age demographics of this LA Times poll have been my favorite thing because Hillary is only leading 42.3% to 40%. That is ridiculously tight. That is such a tight margin. And I I fully expect and I would wager money on this that Trump will win the youth vote on November 8th. Trump will win the young people because all of the young people I've talked to um, they were either super passionate about Bernie and now that Bernie, you know, may he rest in peace is gone. They don't want to vote for Clinton. Nobody, nobody's excited about Hillary, except for the, the most hardline Democratic partisans. And this is something that Democratic campaign managers, not national campaign managers, obviously, but but Democratic organizers at the, the lower levels have admitted to me. They know that Hillary's in big trouble with young people because young people are just not motivated to vote. Stopping Trump is not enough motivation to get people to turn out and vote. It just isn't. People want to vote for something positive. People want to take a positive action. And that's normally why people go out and vote. That is a much stronger motivation. If you have to go and you have to drive and go to your polling place and all that, and your only motivation is, ah, I just don't like I just don't like Trump, you're more likely to forget than if you are somebody who says, you know, yeah, I'm excited to vote for Trump. This is something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to vote for a candidate like this. Uh, like many of these people who are not getting polled, by the way, many of these people who are blue-collar workers who have not voted their entire lives, who are 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, who have never voted, they're saying, yes, I've been waiting my entire life for a candidate like this, and I can't wait to take my first, to make my ver- cast my first vote and to vote for Donald Trump. They're excited. They're not getting polled, by the way, because they're not not on the on the rolls. So... These are people who have a lot more passion, have a lot more energy, and among young people specifically, the young people coming to our Trump meetups uh, who have interacted with, who have talked to online, they are way more passionate than people were for Romney in 2012. You know, yeah, you've lost the establishment, um, you know, upper crust, elitist type people who are, are never Trump, and that's fine. That's fine because, I, you know, Pat Buchanan actually said this yesterday, I, I think that... <laughs> their party has, has probably disappeared. You know, you're, you're never going to nominate another neoconservative as the Republican Party because of all these people that Trump has brought into the party who are opposed to neoconservatism. And the Ron Paul coalition, who is very anti-war, you know, a pro-war nominee, at least for the time being, is not going to fly in the Republican Party. Just not. So, that being said, I think this is very encouraging for Republicans. And I think the the strong showing among young people should be very encouraging too. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe that in the 2012 race, I think I think it was something more like 20% of young people voted for Mitt Romney. So if we see 40, 50, 55% of young people break for Trump, as we may we may see come election day, you know, people like Ben Shapiro have been very concerned about oh Republicans poisoning the well with with uh, young people and will never get a youth coalition. I don't think that's true at all because the amount of people we've seen come into the party and come into the Trump coalition who are young, who are 18, 19, you know, some of them 17 years old who can't even vote but just want to be involved, the amount of youth energy we're seeing coming in, which is, by the way, being backed up in polling. This is not just conjecture and, and you know, BSing here. I, you know, 
it's big. It's a lot of people. So they they say that it's over. They say that it's all done. Um, they say that you know there's there's nothing that can be can be done now. I don't think it's true at all. I, I think the young people coming in are going to be um, giving a significant boost to the party. Um, if you know, depending where the party is after that, and then to the Trump coalition going forward, and whatever you know, youth organization takes the place of the Trump coalition or of the um, whatever youth coalition kind of carries this message forward after the election, win or lose, because I think there will be something coming out of this coalition of this great energy that we're seeing among young people. All right, so uh, that was. That was all we got for today. Uh, we're we're going to be getting a little bit shorter with the episodes because we're going to be doing doing two a week. So around 30 minutes, 35, maybe 40 minutes per episode, just depending on how much we have and what we want to talk about and what's going on in the news. So that's the plan um, for the episodes here going forward. And so I, I think this was, uh, I think it's going to be good now that we can talk a little bit more in depth about youth issues. And that's really what we intended to do with the show all along is to talk about youth issues. So I think we are going to be able to do that big league to quote uh, mr trump all right so that was the thursday edition um definitely uh, stay in touch with us on facebook campus report on facebook stay in touch on on uh, on the soundcloud as well follow us on soundcloud remember you can subscribe in itunes google play all of that good stuff is available to you to subscribe and stay up to date on our episodes when they are uploaded and listen to us there and yeah we will uh, we will see you on monday we have what 12 days now until the election cannot come soon enough in my opinion um monday we'll have oh we'll have eight <laughs> we'll have eight days coming up on monday or, or seven if you want to call it like that so um exciting stuff we'll see what happens in these next four or five days and i will talk to you on monday and this has been campus report thank you for tuning in Thank mm-hmm. you.